Hey everybody, great to have you back, but just a few announcements before we get started. There is a Patreon page for Oyster World Radio. If you enjoy the show, please consider donating a buck or two a month to help support the show. With that, I can get new gear, keep pumping that fresh content, and feed myself. Also, I would like to honor one of the $5 shout-out Patreons this episode, so thank you, Thad Krishner, for supporting the show and for being one of the very first Patreons. Your support will never be forgotten, my friend. If you would like to have your name shout-out out to the world, feel free to press pause. Don't worry, I'll be right here and check out patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Oyster World Radio to learn more or use the link in the show description. Support the show, support global citizenship, gain a little extra good karma for your months, and become a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio. That you demand. Welcome to Oyster World. Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. It's easy to get trapped in the day-to-day routines of our personal bubbles, but there are billions of ways to live this one life you got, so it's my job to find those ways and bring them to you. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and this episode, well, this episode was one that I'll always remember. I got real lucky when I booked my Airbnb in London because Inkram Hussein was not only such a gracious host, but she had a fantastic story to tell. It's the kind of story that you go across the pond to hear. Born in Somalia, baby Ikram and her family moved to Norway, so her dad could pursue a degree. But when the Civil War broke out, all hopes of returning to Somalia vanished. As I sit here in Germany battling a new language and culture, I couldn't imagine what it would be like if I couldn't go home, if I didn't have that safety net. Luckily, she was young. But that wasn't the last time that she would have to adapt to a new culture and a new language. She spoke perfect English, so she definitely got there somehow. It's amazing to hear the story of someone that lived such a drastically different life than I did, or even someone that was born in the States. We usually don't have to face that level of culture shock and unfamiliarity, but obviously it's way more common over here with the country density that Europe has. I think it speaks to the strength and the ability of people to adapt, especially refugees that must make a new home for themselves without any other choice. Even my brief encounter with a mild culture shock was really hard. It's hard to imagine what most refugees have to go through. Just some food for thought. Okay, enough of me blabbing. Here is my conversation with Ikram Hussein. Ikram, thank you for joining Oyster World Radio. It is a pleasure to have you on. And you are, you had the pleasure of being my Airbnb host. Yes. (laughs) No, I'm totally kidding. You were nice enough to be such a gracious... I was lucky to have you. Oh, no. I was lucky to have found you in such a great part of London. It's been a pleasure. It's been all mine. It's been an absolute blast. And you have an interesting story that I would like to tell the yeah. world and have you tell the world. Okay. And we're excited to have you on. Are Thank you. you. Very excited? excited. I am. Thank you very is much. Is this your first podcast? It is, actually, yes. Really? Um, I don't think um, anyone sort of, all, all the ones that I know, they don't 
do this kind of stuff. Like I just see on Facebook, you have like things in New York, and you always read about it, but I never got to know one. So now I can see, it. I know one of them. You know a podcast? Yeah. Is it big in the UK? Really? It is. It is. People do tend to listen to it a lot more now than gotcha. years. Yeah. It's been mm. probably slow growing over the last five years or yes. so. Yes. Yeah. So that's good. So yes. hopefully we'll get some some listeners over. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will certainly spread the word. <laughs> Especially um, since we've we've been through a lot together. In fact, we just fought yeah. three very hostile bees oh, in your apartment. Yes, <laughs> teamwork. So, that was a very impressive teamwork. It was. Yeah. It was trying to. You have a couple covers on your lights that we had to fish off. Yes, one of them to let, to get them out and then use exactly. a weird bottle contraption <laughs> to capture them and throw them out the door. They, they were quite persistent, but we managed to get them out. <laughs> yeah. Have you had that before? Do, you, do bees invade your home very often? You know, not so necessarily bees. More foxes, actually, as you've heard overnight. <laughs> foxes. <laughs> yes, please please explain oh. the, the, fo- the foxes. So London is known to, to have foxes. It's more common on the outskirts of London. But every now and then in the city, especially the ones that have a garden, They'll hear like screaming noises and yeah. scratching noises, and people are like, well, What's going on? Let's actually go outside. I need to save someone. I'm like, Trust me, you don't want to go outside. Yeah, <laughs> it sounded like someone yeah. was getting murdered yes, in your backyard. Yeah, yeah it sounds pretty like 3 a.m. last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just glad you, because this morning <laughs> I was like, Did you hear that? Was was I someone didn't getting killed outside? I didn't hear anything. And well, yeah, you must be used the, to early, it. Early in the afternoon, though, I did hear it. that was. It usually doesn't happen during the daytime. It's usually like mm-hmm. quite late at night. So uh, that's so yeah. funny because you very nonchalantly just said, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, they're just foxes." <laughs> Should I call like the paramedics? What, what no. happened outside last night? No, no, that's that's London for you. <laughs> that's London. Yeah. And all of its crazy surprises. Exactly. And yeah, we've had a good time had so a far. Great long weekend, my, actually. Yeah. yeah. Great long, long weekend. <laughs> very nice to show me the sights of, of many sights in London, including yeah. the Notting Hill Festival. Carnival, Did yes. I get that right? Notting Hill Festival? Notting Hill Carnival. The Notting Hill Carnival. Yes. Which was absolutely insane. It was, it was crazy. In the Intense, best way possible. Yes. Yeah, and it was actually my first as well, so sort of experienced it for the first time as well. So. <laughs> there were so many times where I think we just looked at each other. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, what the hell is going on? So many this times. This is great. And there's so many times I was thinking, oh my God, I've got a guest here. <laughs> <laughs> but it, oh we were God. both having a good time, oh, so don't worry about me. It was a fun time. It was exactly the way it should be. Yeah. It was yeah. Like a good way it should and be. actually, I'm. I was counting the steps. We did. We walked for about half of a marathon. Half a marathon. Half a marathon. Yeah. Oh boy, that's yeah. why my legs are feeling so much. <laughs> we were everywhere and in between yesterday. We did. we did. It was a good day. It was a good day. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, instead of getting everyone jealous, <laughs> and also, by the way, visit London. It's fantastic. Yeah. And have Ikram host you on Airbnb. Yay! And part of that is for you to go back to where you were born, which is Somalia. Absolutely. So this was kind of a way to plan, not plan, but fund your your trip back home. Yes. Because... First trip back home in a long, long time. Long, long time. How many years? Well, I haven't been back yet since we moved. That's 
December nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. So December nineteen eighty seven was yeah. the last time you were there. Yes. And from what you said in your in our pre interview was around three months. You were three months old. Yes. Born in Somalia yes. and then moved to Norway. Moved to Norway. So, how how does that happen? So how do? Um. So when we moved, it was my parents, my older brother, and I. Um. My dad managed to get a scholarship. Uh, at the University of Oslo to study maths uh, and the plan was to live there for about two years I think his scholarships were for and to move back afterwards and hopefully get a job at one of the universities in, in Mogadishu and then during during that time while we were in Norway there was a civil war that broke up in, in Somalia and that sort of put a stop for a while my parents thought in terms of us, us moving back but it turns out that it was going to last for a bit longer Mm-hmm. Um, you said 10 years, ten, right? Well, yes, 10 years. And my parents, after a couple of years, decided actually there's no going back for us. Yeah. Um, and my mom gave birth to another son and our family was growing. So they just decided that it was a safe thing to do was to stay in Norway. Um, and that's, that's how we ended up in Norway. That's right. So yeah. you moved because your dad wanted to pursue yes. an education and all yes. of a sudden the... A nasty war broke out exactly. and you guys were stuck. Exactly. But, but luckily found a job and we settled down in a small village of tiny Norway. village, yes, called Tolga. It's um it's not the kind of village that you would assume or aim to move to when you first move into a country. But it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful little town. <laughs> Why do you say that? Um because I think as a, as an immigrant you're trying to like find your in a way, your people. So most of the immigrants tend to live in big cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of Somalis at the time were living in Oslo, Trondheim, the big cities. But my dad happens to get a job at one of the schools in the village. And that's where why we end up going there. And then we loved it so much that my parents were like, actually, we were going to stay here. Yeah, um, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. We had, I think, the best childhood. It was absolutely amazing. Okay, well, um, what did you... So what was... I know nothing okay. about Norway. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. So okay. what was what was a day like growing up in Norway? Well, um, during the summer, I mean, just pe- throughout the whole year, actually, your connection with nature is just amazing. Um, we had the forest just down the road from us. There was a massive lake just around the corner from us. As, as a child, you just get exposed to nature so much. In the summer, um, we used to go a lot of hiking, and that was part of our school education. So, really? Yes. That was part of your school education? So the, we used to have a lot of class trips where we would go for hiking for about a week. And for a week? For a week, yeah. So we would just stay in like different cabins around the mountains. And, and you just sort of get to want to know one and each other, like, like your colleagues, your teachers, outside of your comfort environments. And you stay in tents and you, know, you learn how to um, make fire and how to survive out in the wilderness. And it's amazing. And then This is all part of your base education? It is part of it, yes. And then in the winter, you get to do a lot of winter sports. My favorite was cross-country skiing. I used to do the biathlon when I was younger. Wow. Um, so yeah, it, you, you have a very active and healthy upbringing, I would say. And the biathlon, is that the one where you shoot? Yes. So you were a biathlete. Yeah. <laughs> is that a big um, uh, sport in Norway? Oh, it's or? a huge sport in Norway. Um, Norway tend to do well in the Winter Olympics. Um, the Summer Olympics, we just participate. 
that's, that's what we do. Um, well, my perception of Norway is that it's always cold and snowing for eight months of the year. Is that even is that even true? It, or? Not necessarily eight months of the year. I mean, in, in my village, it, it used to snow from sort of end of October. And then when I was younger, the winter would last even longer than now. With, with the climate change, you know, we can even notice in, in, in our hometown that our winter's a lot shorter than it used to be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so what, what was biathlon meet like? So what was your, how did you prepare? What, like, what, can you walk me through what an event, like a biathlon event yeah. was like? Um, so um, biathlon is pretty much identical to normal cross-country uh, skiing. The only difference is you carry a gun. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for, to me, that's a pretty big difference, though. <laughs> it's, it's a huge difference. In that sense, it is. And then for every lap that you ski, you'll do a one standing shooting, and then you do one uh, sort of flying down on your chest, and you shoot five, five rounds as well. And then for every time that you miss uh, uh, a target, either get extra minutes added to your sort of uh, time, or you have to do an extra lap. Um, so it's all about getting to the finish. Ultimately, it's all about getting to the finish line first. Gotcha. Yeah. So what what are the nuances of that sport? Is it controlled breathing that separates people? Is it their strength of skiing? Is it's, it? It's a combination of everything. I mean, you can be an excellent skier, but if you can't calm your nerves, calm your pulse, you know, have a calm breathing when you shoot then obviously your skiing doesn't mean anything because right. you're just going to get more time added for every target that you miss. So right. it's sort of getting that balance. And also, if you're really good at shooting, but your skiing is below par, then obviously it doesn't matter how quick you finish your round. By the time you start skiing, the other one will catch up with you. Right. Um, so it's sort of like trying to get a balance of the both, yeah. What was, uh, what was your favourite meet, your favourite event? Was there a, a moment where... You're like, hell yeah, I nailed that. Or or maybe you like slipped and came back. Um, no, so I think my favorite event was actually when I was 13. Um, and it was because I had family visiting from Holland. Okay. And so you got a big crowd. Yes, they were all watching you. Uh, and they had no idea what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, but, uh, but I did win my class and... I met my family and they were like, oh, so how did it go? I'm like, what do you mean, how did it go? I won. I won the <laughs> I whole won. thing, yeah. Um, so that was a good moment, um, just to share with your family and for, for families that, you know, doesn't know the kind of interest that you have that come from a different country. And it was, yeah, it was really cool. Did you, when you hit that last target, were you just like, yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was humming to uh, Bon Jovi. <laughs> you were humming to Bon Jovi? Was yeah. that your pop-up song? It was. <laughs> When you're going down the final stretch oh, on yes. your cross country like, skis, living on the prayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so. perfect. So that, I mean, that's one hell of a way to grow up mm. already. So Absolutely. very connected with the outdoors, yes. cross country skiing. Yes. The even the education system mm-hmm. made a big deal about getting you out in nature and teaching Absolutely. you almost to survive. Yeah. Almost. Do you think that's normal across Norway? Oh yes, um, I think it's it's normal across the rural parts of Norway, uh, but not necessarily in the, in the big cities. I mean, they do get the exposed to 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 the outdoors as well, but not as much 
as some other parts in, in Norway. That's right. And yeah. how big was the village that you said? Um, so it was about 800. So 800 yeah, people. 800 people. 800 take, people. Yeah. So you went from this 800-person village where yeah. uh, the big sport was the biathlon. Yes. And as you got older, you decided to move to a much bigger place. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so the next move from when we were talking earlier, was Birmingham. Birmingham, indeed. So why why move to Birmingham? Um, so my parents, um, obviously spending all these years, we spent about 19, 20 years um, in the village. Um, and after that, they sort of decided, oh, we want to reconnect with our community and, and perhaps even go to a place where our children can get a better education. Um, so they decided to, to move to Birmingham because they already had a lot of relatives and friends there. That's right, and that's um, Birmingham, United Kingdom. United right? Kingdom, yes, that's indeed. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so we ended up in, in, in Birmingham, and it's, uh, it was a huge, huge change, both for myself and, and my siblings. I have five siblings, and it was a tough time because we obviously grew up in, in Norway, uh, no, considering ourselves as, as Norwegians, and then... At the same time, sometimes you'll have, you know, consider yourself as Somali as well. Um, but more of a Norwegian, more than a Somali. And then when we moved to Birmingham, a lot of the Somali communities, um, kids that were in our age, they spoke the language Somali much better than us. And, and the, you know, sort of expected that we knew a lot of the culture that we didn't. And so we had a bit of an identity clash when we moved there. And it was a bit tough to sort of adjust with, with, with trying to like still keep the Norwegian language going, so we don't want to forget that. But at the same time, we're trying to learn this new language, this new culture, that's sort of part of, always been part of us, but it just hasn't been exposed that much to us. Um, so that was a bit of a challenge, yeah. Yeah, so you were born and raised in Norway, yeah. spoke Norwegian. Yeah. You moved from Somalia when you were three months yeah. old, so you didn't really know. You, you spoke Somali at I the spoke, time? Yeah, I spoke Somali, but um, not professionally if that makes sense so i'll be able to communicate with my parents with my uncles my grandma and so forth but not in the levels where kids our age in birmingham speak because they've been around a much larger uh, somali community and sort of you Mm -hmm. know learned a lot more than us yeah were you the only somali family in the village that you were at we were the only Immigrant whatsoever. You were the only immigrants whatsoever. Yeah. It was just it was pure just, Norwegian yes, and you us. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really no exposure to Absolutely the Somali culture at yeah. all. And then just a few times you go and see family on a holiday and that was that was it really, yeah. When you moved to Birmingham, was there a point breaking into the new culture that was really hard? Do you remember a particular time that was really difficult, maybe not understanding a group of people that you were trying to become friends with or kind of struggling through the culture? Was there a um, particular point where it was really hard? It wasn't, it was more of understanding different accents and because um, there were like, within the Somali community, people like um, talk differently, behave differently. So it's more of like learning how other people, other than the ones that, the way that my parents spoke, um, to sort of learning the other accents and um, not trying to sound dumb and like you don't want to ask every time what do you mean by that and so it was more about like I'll hear something I won't ask the person I'll go home and I'll go to my grandma I'm like hey grandma what does this mean 
<laughs> and then I'll make a mental note of it. And the next time if he makes a joke and, you know, mention the same word, I'll laugh and say, yes, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> gotcha. Even though you might not. Yeah. So that must be, yeah, that must be really challenging. Yeah. Just trying to, just this chunking mm -hmm. method of learning the accents. Yeah. And there really was no fail safe. I mean, that no. was your new home. That's exactly kind of what you had to do. Uh, but it was a fun time. Um, it was um, it was quite interesting to get exposed to, to the Somali culture. And although I wasn't exposed to it before, I kind of felt like, oh, this might have been the part that was missing from me as well. I just didn't know. Mm. Um, so I'm yeah, very much now involved within the Somali communities and so forth now. Yeah. What was your favorite part discovery of the Somali community, the Somali culture in general? Uh, I think it's like just going through the histories and how empowered in, in the families Somali women are and how, I guess I'm quite a feminist, so, so for me it was just beautiful to, to see that, oh, you know, Somali people for generations had, you know, the females have always been the leaders of the house, like in, in Somalia, the Somalis are nomads, so they live mobily so they'll move around according to where there's water and mm -hmm. um and that decision relies on you know it's it's the woman that makes that decision so she will say okay well now we're moving so she'll just pack the whole family to the next place and i didn't I, know that yeah, that's so, um that's definitely a, a stereotype yeah definitely of the western world imposed mm -hmm. on somalia and a lot of the yeah. other other countries mm -hmm. is that the men are dominant and absolutely. kind of push it aside. So it's the opposite. It's opposite. Woman wears the pants in the <laughs> Woman wears the pants in the family. <laughs> yeah. Well, did your did your mom tell oh, your dad every once in a while, like, oh yeah, we're moving, we're we're up and leaving? Oh well she she would. I mean it would always be like we'll ask my dad, oh can we do this? And we're like, have you asked your mom? <laughs> <laughs> so he knew. He knew. He knew not to not to mess like, with mom either. Ask your mom first. <laughs> What was the weirdest thing you asked your mom? Weirdest thing? Um, I think she was a bit of a shock when I told her, hey, mom, let's go and buy some makeup. She was like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? She was like, because she, I was growing up, I was always a bit of a tomboy. Mm -hmm. So for her, that was like a yes moment. She was like, yes, we, we will definitely buy makeup. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, right because you're used to shooting guns exactly and, so and when, when that moment happened i was like oh actually maybe i should get some makeup and i went to my mom and i think that was the happiest days of her <laughs> life actually to be honest because <laughs> finally it's like finally yeah I can, exactly i could show her how to do exactly. makeup and all that yeah, yeah yeah so you didn't ask your dad about that you went straight to mom no went dad didn't know oh, anything about that yeah no straight, me neither my dad is cool yeah. <laughs> Absolutely clueless. Yeah. Shout out to my dad <laughs> about makeup and all girl things. Yeah, so. no, I had a feeling that would be a mom's thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you break into the Somali culture and you yes. start to get more acquainted to it. Absolutely. And with that, um, maybe a piece of your identity that was missing, was there, did that come gradually, you think? Was it, I guess I asked the question because when I went to Germany for the first time, mm -hmm. This was a part of my family that I've never seen before. Yeah. And then I went there and immediately it clicked. Oh. I, I met the taller parts of my family where my <laughs> height comes from because I'm the tallest one on my dad's side oh. of all of my relatives. I'm yeah. the tallest one. Um, so I met relatives that were taller than me. Oh, wow. And then the culture kind of fit mm -hmm. the way mm -hmm. I think and yeah. the way I process things. Yeah. So that happened to you? or Absolutely. So there would be... Um, 
are moments where I would be with my family in Birmingham or any like friends, Somali friends or extended families. And I just see the way they behave as a family sort of match the way we behave as a family back home. Family is quite important to us. And um, I just noticed like in, 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 within the Norwegian community, for example, if, you know, when, the, when your grandma gets old and she can't, you know, take care of herself, she gets into an elderly home and, and it's a super nice place and, you know, but that yeah. could never happen within a Somali community. Uh, so growing up, my, my grandma, she used to live with us and uh, my mom would never like say, oh, and it's not a negative thing. It's just the way, you know, they were raised. They're like, oh, once your parents get old, automatically you'll take care of them. And that was like, we were the only one that stood up in our village in Norway doing that. But when I came to Birmingham, everyone was living with their, with their grandparents. Right. So, so for me, I was like, oh, sense. Yeah, we, yeah, we all do that, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was like little other moments as well. It, it wasn't like instantly, wow, this is what I was missing. But it was little bits and pieces here and there. And that sort of completed the part of me that I thought didn't know was missing. But apparently Right, yeah. right. Something that Norway yeah. or your first home, yeah. your first real home, I guess, exactly. couldn't, couldn't provide. Exactly. So then, so how long were you there in Birmingham? So I was there for three years. I um, did my undergrad there, studying accounting and economics, and really enjoyed it. Got exposed to other cultures as well. There's a huge Asian community there. And yeah, it was a, it was a great time. It was a great time. Was there any, I guess, not backlash isn't the word, or... Was it going from an 800-person village? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was there, I can't think of the right word at the moment, was was there any complications or it that's was, not the right word either? Di- well, there was difficult times per se sometimes. Yeah. Um, mainly with the language because uh, in a way we speak Norwegian. At home I used to speak Somali. English was just something we was taught at school and then the little exposure on telly and so on. But moving from the village to Birmingham straight to higher education, my English wasn't that great for that. Um, so it took, us, it took me a while to adjust. It took me a while to adjust to, to the language, the way they taught as well at the university. But it was quite, I was quite lucky because, as I said, I just got involved within the Somali community and they were offering so many evening English courses and stuff. So I used to attend that. And... Um, and yeah, it, 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 was, it wasn't just me, it was all my siblings as well. So as a, as a, as a family, we used to have like English courses at home yeah. after, after, after school and stuff. So we sort of made it like a family mission to, to make it happen kind of thing. I guess I didn't even really realize that because your English is really good. Oh, thank you. It's really, really good. But you spoke Norwegian yes. growing up. And yeah. then when we talked before, you even spoke a little bit of Somali exactly. because, and then that transition, but then you were learning English, English. too on top of it yeah, all. Yeah. And then that started, did that start when you went so, to the UK or did it start back? No, they, I mean, they do teach English at, um, in, in Norway at school, but that's only as a second language. So it will be as good as, I don't know, the French and English guy would speak kind of thing. Right. Um, so it wasn't good enough for me to like be able to, I, I think it wasn't good enough. Well, especially on the, my first year to write, you know, the essays, the thesis and so forth. So I got like help around my first year. And then 
I remember it was on my second year, my my teacher, one of my mentors, she corrected one of my essays. She goes like, wow, you improved a lot, Ikram. So that for me, that was a yes moment. Heck yeah. Yeah. I'm actually getting, yeah. getting through this so I'm getting because there somewhere. Yeah. higher education English is another monster exactly. compared to exactly. the street slang yeah. and everything else that you, that you learn just Absolutely. by conversing. Absolutely. So yeah. then... Even if that was a big transition, you made another one. Even bigger you, one. <laughs> even bigger one when you moved to London to, London. to yes. continue your PhD in economics. Yes. Which, congratulations. Well, thank That's you. fantastic. But also really freaking hard. Yes. <laughs> it was. Um, so I started quite young with my PhD. So moving to London, and that will be the first time I will be away from my family because I've always been surrounded by my family, my siblings, quite a huge family. So this was like my first, oh, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to move to London, of all the places, and I'm going to face all these million people every day on the tube. Yeah. So at the beginning, it was so exhausting and, and scary. Um, but I was quite lucky because I applied for um, a student home within the, Somal- um, within the Norwegian community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sharing a house with other Norwegian students. All right, so we need to, you showed me yeah. the house they were staying in, so we need to talk about this for a second, because I thought this was so cool. <laughs> okay. So the Norwegian government sponsored some houses for yes. you guys while you were going to the university in exactly. London. And <laughs> these houses were like Victorian houses, and, a, and 30 of you yeah, so stayed it, in there? Yeah, it's on the best part of London. Oh, it is beautiful, <laughs> I, absolutely stunning. I wasn't aware. So, and then it's it's a pro- process where you have to apply, you have to write an essay, explain why you sort of deserve a spot. Um, and I was quite lucky enough to get a spot. And and it was, I think, if it wasn't for that, the fact that I could stay there, I don't think I would be able to have transitioned into London as quickly as I did, because being surrounded by Norwegian friends. Just people that you sort of had the same background with. We're all sort of struggling with the same language as well. Everyone was doing different courses. Everyone would go to university during the day, come back home, and then everyone was doing their homework. And then if there's one you know word that I don't understand, I'll just ask one of my friends. And it was just nice to be around and around people that you knew kind of thing. Yeah. And so I was there for about three years. It was a great time. And, and that's really cool, too, because when you went to Birmingham, there was the Somali community. Yes. And then you moved to London, and there was the Norwegian community. Absolutely, so it was absolutely. like the hometown community coming back to help you once again exactly. navigate through, exactly. through London. And this place is chaos. Oh, absolutely. So I absolutely. couldn't imagine. I speak English, <laughs> and sometimes I have no idea what they're saying. And get to, to English know the is a second language. as well. Yeah. The accent killed yeah. me at first. Yeah. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. It's worse in Birmingham. It's like, worse in Birmingham? I want to say negative things about Birmingham, but the accent is probably the worst. <laughs> can you can you do an no, impression? I Come can't, on. I can't. Just a little bit. I No, actually, I can't. Because I, I was adamant I wasn't going to learn the accent because it sounded so dumb. <laughs> What's wrong? Do they like, draw out their... Yeah, it's a bit like... It, they sound very slow when they speak. I mean, it, the words on, very, little, very intellectual. I can't. I wish. Out. I wish I could. I actually can't. I can't. It's uh, it's been a while that I've heard a Birmingham accent too. No. Yeah. No. I'm not even gonna <laughs> You're try. You're not even gonna try. I'm not even gonna try. Okay. That's yeah. fair. 
But it's you, when when you when you if you ever go there, listen to the accent. It's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Lovely people, but my god, the accent. And it just gets on your nerves. Yeah. yeah. I gotta say, the accents around here they make me feel happy. Oh I don't yeah. Know what it is? Well, the London accent. The London accent. Yeah, London accent. I do like the London accent. It's it's um it's the easy one to to learn as as a foreigner, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the normal English that you hear on movies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, no, I like that. And it's so polite. It is very polite. Very they polite. They could be insulting everything oh, you stand so, for. And, and you were like, thank you. Oh, that was really nice. Yeah. I appreciated that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and that was one thing that I have to keep like remembering myself, like say please, say thank you. And that's actually when I was moving to, to England, that's what my English te- teacher, Nora, told me. She goes, Ethan, they're very polite over there. So just say please and thank you. Just For remember everything. your please and thank yous. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so this was really the, the house and the community was yes. the, the one that really helped you oh, integrate into London. So was there, was there any funny stories that you can remember of you guys trying to do that? Maybe navigating the tube for the first time or trying to order for the first time, um, when any of your friends do anything stupid, because I know when I get to Germany, I'm gonna, it's going to be horrendous. Oh, I'm so trying to think. Make me feel better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, um, and, it, and it wasn't just me, I, I spoke to a lot of my friends, and that maybe not even, it's not, it might be a Norwegian problem, not a British problem per se, where when in Norwegian, when you're giving someone a time and you say half one, mm-hmm. that's half an hour before one. Okay. Yeah. So that's if you do, translate it directly from Norwegian. Uh, whereas over here, half one is half an hour after one. So it's, oh. it's two thirty, it's one thirty. Okay. Um, so it will be a lot of times where either myself or any of my Norwegian friend will turn up to a meeting with our mentor or whatever at university an hour early. So we just sit in there like a super eager student <laughs> that wants to have his one-on-one with his lecture. And then he'll come and he'll like, oh, it's, 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 it's like an hour. an hour's time. And you're like, but you said half one. And, and they're like, like, and he's like, yes, no. I did say half one. Half one is one thirty. So then you probably just melted at that yeah, point. Yeah, we're like, like oh yeah, because I want to learn so exactly. much from you. And then you have to like cover it up. You're like, I know that. I'm just waiting. <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting yeah. because I'm smart and exactly. know what you're Very talking eager, about. When yeah. You're talking. yeah, it's funny how the minor differences can make such a big impact. It does. It does. And then obviously, when you first time in London. And I noticed with yourself as well, you're looking at the wrong side constantly. Oh, God. And for us, it was like, it took me such a long time um, in Birmingham, even when I moved to London as well. Even though it says on the ground, look left, you're constantly looking right again. It's if a it habit. If didn't say look left, uh-huh. I would have died today. <laughs> and really this whole week. Yeah. I yeah. almost died anyway. <laughs> All the buses. It's, How many buses do you think you almost got hit by? So um, I could probably count five already. Oh, this weekend? Just for this weekend. Oh, wow, okay. Um, Yeah, no, I had, you know, some close ones as well. (laughs) They don't stop. They don't. The taxis and the buses, they stop for nobody. Nobody, nobody. So you're on your own. You have to, like, be really careful. Yeah, Yeah, so you went, was that an easy transition? Because this this city's chaos. When I first got here, people were jaywalking. The streets are not grid. So you have no idea which way is north, south, east, or west. I didn't understand why people were such in a rush. Yeah. That's one thing that it took me a while to, to sort of adjust to. And then 
sadly become one of at the moment <laughs> because uh, for example when you get to the tube and um, the tube is like standing in the station uh, it's about to close a lot of people just running towards it but then you look at the board and like next one is in one minute yeah because where tube, do you need to the go subway is so great oh absolutely yeah. it's, trains are coming every five minutes exactly. at the most. yes yes it's, it, there's a there's a train coming every other minute so if you miss one, there's, there will be one in about a minute's time. And also if it's packed, why squeeze yourself in? There's another one. But saying that, now I see myself like running towards the tube and you just want to catch it because it's there. And it's, just, it's just part of the London life. Mm. And that's even the way you walk. I notice that when I go back to London, uh, Birmingham to visit family, everything is so slow. And then the escalators in London... There's one rule, stand on the right, yeah. walk on the left. Yeah. Go to Birmingham, they don't have that. And it, it's infuriating. And now it drives you crazy, oh doesn't it? Oh my God, yes, yeah, so much. <laughs> so, but in London, everyone, like, there's a rule. If you're walking, you go, you, you walk on the left, stand on the right. But in Birmingham, or any other cities, they don't do that. And it's so annoying. <laughs> Especially the US. Yeah. That'll be fun when you go there. Oh, yes. Oh, boy. You're going to have you know, you're, you're, a lot of fun You with live that. in the UK or you live in London because you go to um, New York, for example. And, and I was like, why are people just standing on both sides? <laughs> <laughs> Stay on the right, damn it. Exactly. <laughs> this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah, efficiency. So you, have, you have turned into a true Londoner. Slowly I am. Through. Yeah, slowly I am. Yes. <laughs> So after all, and I'm sure that has become a part of your identity as well. Oh, absolutely, yes. a little bit. But yeah. what we were talking in the pre-interview before, I think one of the coolest parts to talk about, and you see it walking around the streets, is the diversity here. Absolutely. And that everyone is from a different place. And how did, how did that make you feel at home? Or do you have any examples of I, uh, For of me... Growing up in, in, in Norway, I very much felt like I was in Norwegian. Um, but then over time, like people, when people ask, where are you from? And you tell them the village and then they look at you like, no, where, where were you really from? And then I moved to Birmingham and then um, the, the Somali community was a lot different than what we thought and we had a lot to learn. So for me and, and my siblings as well, it was... It was um, like an identity clash, like, oh, actually, maybe we don't belong. I mean, we do belong with the Norwegians, but then again, we do belong with, with the Somalis as well. And then now, like, living in, in the UK for a while, I feel like a lot of the British culture sort of sort of grown in me and, and it's part of my life. And so when I moved to London, well, living in London for a couple of years now, I, I realised, like, I can be whoever I want. Like, there's no borders, you know. There's so much diversity in London. You meet people from all walks of life, different cultures, different you know continents, ethnicity, religious. Doesn't matter. And so for me, I sort of um, decided no borders. I, I you know if if lived here for like ten years now in the UK, I can be British if I want to. Yeah. Um. If I move back to Africa or Somalia, I I can move to the States. Like for me, it's as long as I have a friend, family. That's home. Yeah. And that is a really powerful message. Yeah. Too. Yeah, I like it. So you really have found yourself I have. in a way. I have. And all of the parts make up you and exactly. home is where you make it. Exactly. The Absolutely. truest form of home is is where you make it. It's where you make it. Absolutely. Oh, I, yeah. love I love that. I love that. It's so good. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Ikram, for coming on the show. I think that is a great place to wrap it up. You have such a different way of life than yeah. I do, but here we are. Here talking, we are. And that's one of the coolest parts exactly. I love well, about this podcast. Thank you very much for the interview and for staying with me. I mean, uh, this weekend has just been amazing. It has been really fun, hasn't it? Has it has been really fun, actually. Um, uh, and yes, I, I hope to uh, hear more about your trips to Germany and how that goes. And I'm sure we'll keep in touch. We will definitely yeah, keep in touch. Absolutely. This weekend was way too fun. Yeah. Not to. <laughs> and before before we go, one last fun thing. Mm-hmm. What would be your favorite English line that you have? The most stereotypical English line that you've heard okay. in England. Mm-hmm. Can you say it for us before we go? <laughs> the funniest line I've heard um, would probably be love. Like they use that phrase, love. love. Yeah. yeah, you're right, love. And I remember coming to to Birmingham, landing at the airport. There was a British guy, quite old, but he was working at the airport and super lovely. And I had like I was moving with my life, so I had a, quite a few suitcases. And he came over to me and said, "Are you right, love?" And love for me, like as a as an you know non British person, that's something you tell someone you really care about, and you know, it's your love. And I was like, this strange guy just asked me like. No, I'm not your love. <laughs> Is that what you said? Yeah, to yeah. Him? I was, I was in shock. I was like, no, I think, I think you, you met someone else. I'm not your love. And he's like, no, no, darling. I, do you need a hand with the suitcases? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, oh but he's, he, and he's my favorite. Like he really helped me that day. Really sweet guy. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. I love the little culture clashes. Yes. Or it would make me Indeed. so happy. Well, thank you. Thank you. for coming on the show. We'll just probably have to round two at some point. Yeah. And come to Augsburg sometime. I shall. Thank you. Certainly. This has been Oyster World Radio. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This has been a good time. Coming from London, United Kingdom, and on to Munich next. You never know who you're going to meet. So say hi. Say hi to Ingram. Stay at her place. She has a great Airbnb. Hey, guys. <laughs> and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio, production of Oyster World LLC. Thank you again, Ikram Hussain, for coming on the show. Look her up on Airbnb and help fund her trip back to Somalia. Keep up to date on everything that's going on in the Big Gap here on Instagram at Nathan.Wanders. And Jackie is finally showing up. It's about time we got on the road together. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milken for all of the Oyster Jams. Check him out on Spotify or at charliemilken.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Don't forget to support the show on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks again for tuning in to Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks. But until then, this is Nathan Lieberman signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about all time that's gone by It's time for a change in my day-to-day